This episode of the Short Side Option Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Manhattan Brewing Company. Manhattan Brewing Company is located at 406 Points Avenue in downtown Manhattan, Kansas. Quality, community, and education are Manhattan Brewing Company's three pillars, and we are super excited to have them back for their second year as the title sponsor of the Short Side Option Podcast. With nearly 20 years of collective experience in the craft beer industry, Jake, Adam, and Garrett are focused on brewing and serving high-quality craft beers in a family-friendly atmosphere in the heart of downtown Manhattan. Manhattan is their home, and they want to bring the best possible beer experience and education to the wonderful people of Manhattan, creating a place for everyone to come out and have a good time with friends and cultivate a craft beer culture that Manhattan can be proud of. Be sure to follow them on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Manhattan Brewing, as well as their website at www.mhkbeer.com to stay up to date on all of the latest events going on at the brewery. Some great stuff there. Now, Dilu and I look back at Kansas State's 37-28 win over Texas Tech and preview this Saturday's 6-30 matchup with the Iowa State Cyclones as uh, they go on the road to Ames, a place that they've uh, had some trouble at here last, uh, last time out there, and uh, look to get back on the right side of things. This is the short side option. to have you with us here on another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. It's the icon, it's Dilo, and it's Kansas State 37, Texas Tech 28, in a game where K-State uh, rolled up over 340 yards of rushing on the ground. Then you have Felix Anaduke and Khalid Duke with uh, three sacks each. And K-State scoring 17 unanswered points uh, there in the fourth quarter before uh, Texas Tech kind of gets a touchdown to make it a little bit closer. A game that was uh, really up for grabs there entering the fourth quarter. K-State's able to have a big fourth quarter and, and is able to uh, to do enough to come away with a 37-28 win over the Red Raiders and what was a uh, really a fun game to watch. Uh, some big plays, of course, were really the rule of the day. I mentioned K-State uh, runs the ball for 343, or <clears throat> excuse me, 343 yards on the ground. Uh, that's when they get it done, I think, uh, in most games. And and uh, it was a lot on big plays, Deuce Vaughn, uh, and uh, with uh, Adrian Martinez having a couple big runs there. So, a lot to talk about. D'Lu, want to bring you in here now, bud. Howdy. What a game for Kansas State. You know, they roll up 343 yards on the ground. The two-headed monster of, of Adrian Martinez, 171 yards rushing. Deuce Vaughn, 170 yards rushing. Uh, when you look at what uh, K-State was able to do, it wasn't always pretty uh, offensively for K-State on Saturday, but they made the plays when they needed to. Yeah, it's absolutely right. I mean, I think uh, K-State was far from perfect uh, on Saturday, especially on offense. The defense played, I thought, pretty darn well throughout, Yeah, at least at the key moments. But um, it was a, a struggle for part of the game, but... You have to remember, that's what selling out to stop the run looks like. Mm -hmm. I mean, because we talked about it last week. Texas Tech has a good defensive line. They are going to have a relatively high stuff rate, a a low success rate for the offense on running plays. But what did we say last week? If you can get past that first layer, get into that second level, just get past that tough defensive line, 
um, in case they was going to break off a bunch of big runs and turn some of those 12, 15-yard runs, even 8, 12, 15-yard runs that we saw against Oklahoma into real game breakers. And that's exactly what happened. So it's a good job by us for, for hey. breaking down the film and predicting that last week because that's exactly what happened. No substitute for hard work. No. No substitute for watching film. No, absolutely not. Um, and so, like you said, it wasn't always pretty, but it's not going to be pretty yeah. against a good uh, front seven like that, especially when they're devoting so much attention to getting into the backfield as soon as they can. There's The offense seems stagnant for you know a quarter and a half on Saturday. And you just... I mean, I'm pound the stone, baby. It's it's keep keep running the rock, and uh, there's going to be chances for Deuce and Adrian to find seams and get past that line of scrimmage. And once they did, it was it was off to the races. Yeah, we'll get into some of that. Uh, you know, especially I thought in the fourth quarter, uh, a couple of things that K State did really well, formation wise, and how they had the perfect call for. Uh, what Tech was showing. We'll, we'll dive all into that in a lot more detail. But before uh, we get too much further, it was a 37-28 win for Kansas State on Saturday against Texas Tech. And a heartfelt congratulatory show. Oh, are we giving a show? We, we do it every let's week, just, folks. Let's just, let's just get it right off the bat here. Uh, to Sats19 at Sadhoff underscore 19. He predicted 37-27. to 27. Wow. I mean, he looked in that crystal ball, and he, he saw it clearly. Yeah, pretty good. So, uh, he's almost, uh, almost a dead on there. Uh, Tip so, of the cap to Sat. To, yeah, to Sat's 19, he, he, he absolutely nailed it. And a great job by him, and we appreciate him for, for uh, following along with us here on the short side option. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast. We always get it. Uh, get that uh, Saturday morning prediction thread going on, and uh, we've had a lot of fun with that. So uh, let's go in and, and break down this game against Texas Tech. We talked about big plays. How about that for a, a first drive? Uh, two plays, Adrian Martinez, designed run a, a little little quarterback power there. He runs down the left side for 57 yards, and then on the next play, Scrambles for 18 yards for a touchdown. K-State was off to the races on Saturday. Yeah, I remember thinking, well, that was pretty easy. I mean, I don't know how you can watch the Oklahoma game last week and not uh, account for the quarterback on the first two plays of the game. Um, and that, that's easier said than done. But that was quite a start for the Wildcats. And good to see Klein not being afraid to go back to the well and, and doing what works and... Uh, yeah, solid <laughs> 75 yards in two plays. What, what more can you ask you for? You know, Adrian Martinez runs the ball for 12 times. And quite frankly, I was, I would have liked to see that number almost doubled with, with how effective he was on the ground. You know, with what K-State does in the read game and then with the design quarterback power, and then also what he's able to do scrambling, as we saw several times, not only just scrambling for, you know, a, a, an 18-yard touchdown run, but uh, extending plays to, to keep his eyes up down the field. He had a couple of nice completions. One, I believe, to Phillip Brooks, and then another big one to Deuce Vaughn. Uh, later in the game, I thought he played really well uh, with, with, what, uh, with what he was doing, especially on the ground. I mean, his pass line, 12 of 19 for 116 yards, that's not going to necessarily 
you know catch your eye necessarily uh, when you look at the when you look at the stats there. But thought he played another really nice game, and you know now. This is how crazy this this season's been so far. First three games, first three games of the season, we're wondering, hey, what do we have at quarterback? Yeah. Now he's like fifth in line for the Heisman in, right. in terms of odds in two weeks because he has two monster games. So that's uh, that's how quickly your fortunes can change, especially uh, with what we've seen from Adrian Martinez. This is the Adrian Martinez I think we thought we'd see this season. Yeah, this is you know, as as far as that goes. This week was a big relief, I think, because through the first three weeks, you know, you, you said it. It's, gosh, I wonder if Will Howard's improved at all. You know, we just felt yeah. like we were we got a little bait and switched here, getting this supposed dynamic playmaker. Um, and through three games, he was pretty, pretty average. Uh, and then against Oklahoma, puts up an amazing night, uh, both rushing and passing. And we're thinking, okay, well, is this just going to be an up and down roller coaster ride? But then against Texas Tech, he goes and puts together um, another great day at the office, almost 300 total yards, including 170 yards rushing. Um, and now it's K State fans can sit back and say, okay, no, this is, this I think is something we're going to be able to rely on all season, at least with his legs. And, you know, it, it was really nice to see him break off. Uh, Really, real, you know what? Some really long runs. Yeah, I mean, because we saw the one on third and sixteen against Oklahoma, but there've been aside from that one, there have been some times where you just got the sense that he just had one guy to beat, and he would have been gone for a touchdown uh, on a fifty-plus yard run. And so to see him uh, have that happen for him a couple times on Saturday. Uh, was great just because he, he did escape that safety or whoever else and was able to just burn everyone. You know, and I we'll, we'll go ahead and here kind of just look at the first two drives for K-State. They forced Texas Tech on a, to a punt their first drive, uh, and then they, they have a 14-play, 72-yard drive K-State does. It takes up 750, and, and they aren't able to punch it in but are able to get a field goal out of it. Defense is really settling in here. They they turn uh, they get a turnover on downs uh, a little bit later on after a nice kick return for Texas Tech, and uh, they they get the ball back, go down and get another field goal. You'd like to see K State be a little bit more, you know, pay off those nice drives where they they uh, they end up settling for a field goal. But hey, give give a shout out here to Chris Tennant. Uh, he's really kind of seemed to. You know, find a little bit of more consistency on a couple of his kicks. He, they're not exactly no doubters right down to shoot every time. Uh, but he he's shown some uh, ability to kind of steady himself and get get a little bit more consistent with his approach. He he made a couple of nice field goals here. That's something to keep an eye on. But really, with what you saw from Texas Tech, the first three drives, they they go punt, turnover on downs, and then an interception on their third drive. Before they start to find some some success there in the last two drives, and they cut it to thirteen to ten going into halftime, and really when you look at this game from what K State was able to do, as Texas Tech kind of started heating up at the end of the first half, K State kind of went stagnant, and uh, you know you felt K State should be ahead, and I know Chris Kleiman in his post game thoughts said he really let, led into the guys at halftime saying. 
we have to be a lot better here. Uh, a penalty really gave Texas Tech an opportunity to get uh, another three points there at the end of the half. But for K-State to go into half 13-10, you thought that they should be ahead by at least uh, 17, if not 21 points there. Yeah, I was pretty upset at halftime on Saturday, only because it felt like we'd spent the, you know, uh, about 25 minutes in the first half just clearly throwing our weight around and, and running over these guys. And then you look up the scoreboard, and all of a sudden it's K-State has a three-point lead and it's kicking off to start the second half. And so I think you had a really good point about the settling for those field goals. Um, The red zone offense for K-State is a little tricky because when you get, well, number one, let's talk about what happened. First drive, end up getting sacked, and you're facing a third and 11, or third and goal from about the 11. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in the second uh, red zone attempt, that's when Deuce had that loss of six uh, on that play where he got the ball kind of deep and, and ran around, and it was a negative play. But I think Colin, the challenge for Colin Klein is going to be figuring out a way to counter uh, defenses in the red zone that are just at that point saying, okay, we, I mean, defenses shade towards the run throughout, always against K State's offense. But I think when you get goal to go, teams are just completely selling. Yeah, absolutely. And, and saying, okay, got to watch quarterback power, got to watch number 22. And we'll let it, if they beat us somewhere else, fine. But we won't let that happen. Or we won't let those guys run in. And so I, I think we're going to have to figure out a way to... Um, figure out an intermediate passing game for those, a red zone passing game. And whether that's bootleg stuff rolling out, uh, you know, we, we got some big bodies. You saw Malik Knowles against uh, Oklahoma on the slant. That, good. That, that That's yeah. what needs to happen. But down there, you'd think like, man, roll out and get Senate involved. Get Ben in there. Yeah. Um, Shovel passes, possible. Well, maybe. But, yeah. but I think there's... You're just going to have to be a, a little more creative just because we talked about it. I, I think this offensive line is a good run-blocking unit. I don't think they're a great run-blocking unit, and I don't know that they're a good pass-blocking unit. I mean, I think pass-block left a lot to be desired on Saturday against Texas Tech. Uh, ended up getting three sacks, but um, and, and sacks at key times. One of the other sacks was on K-State's final drive before the half. Uh, where they ended up having to punt and results in the field. So, um, in any event, I think watching K-State's red zone offense kind of evolve is going to be uh, pretty important for the offense coordinator, Colin Klein, um, and just figuring out a way to somewhere else to go when defenses are just flat, not letting the run game go uh, on first and goal from the eight, for instance. You know, in one, and this leads perfectly into uh, maybe a way that you can kind of go ahead and, and find those ways to, to be a little bit more creative in the red zone situations where, where K-State was able to have success in that situation with the passing game was on, on a little RPO action where you have the little peak route to, uh, to Philip Brooks who bobbles it, then catches the ball to, to run in uh, for a touchdown there. 
maybe some of that RPO stuff uh, is where K-State's able to have some success. Yeah. But I, I think getting getting those guys involved in some different ways, whether if it is Ben Sennett, whether if it is Malik Knowles kind of as a, a red zone target, going to be something really to keep an eye on here moving forward. Yeah, and I liked the option, the, the actual yeah. speed option stuff. I mean, I think that that's another element. If you, if you don't want to put the ball in the air for whatever reason down there, then there are ways to get a little bit creative in the in the red zone. But I think that's going to be a challenge, and it, it cost K-State on Saturday settling for uh, field goals with goal to go uh, rather than cashing one or two of those in. Okay, so let's dive in here into kind of the, the meat of that second half. Uh, I thought K-State defensively, and we'll touch more on the defense, of course, here as we, we, we review this game, but I thought on the last drive of the third quarter where where K-State is able to um, to hold Texas Tech out of the end zone, getting a little bit more aggressive uh, with blitz with blitzing um, on second and third down, and then we're able to, to get an interception there. Uh, I, I really like what I saw there. And we, we kind of talked about this with Donovan Smith. Maybe not the greatest pocket presence in the world, and we saw that uh, we saw that throughout where he was able to hold on the ball probably a little bit longer. I mean, when you get six sacks uh, with uh, Felix Anaduke, Uzama, and uh, Khalid Duke out there, mm-hmm. as uh, as talented as those guys are, you know, you don't necessarily need to have to hold the ball on for too long uh, for those guys to have an impact. And and of of course that was the case on Saturday. Uh, I really liked what I saw from this K-State defense. Kind of put them into some tough positions here when the offense wasn't quite moving the ball, and they were spending a lot of time out there when Texas Tech was able to get a, get that rhythm and, and, and play fast like they like to. You know, we talk about that with the tempo. We saw it with Oklahoma, and we, we see it here with uh, Texas Tech, and, and we'll see it with other teams, Texas, TCU, uh, among others here in the Big 12. But when K-State's able to have success on those first first and second down where they're not able to you know, get that seven or eight yards and, and keep that momentum and keep humming and keep that tempo, uh, K-State seemed to have a lot of success there once they were able to get Texas Tech off schedule, so to speak. And uh, I think that that's going to be something that uh, you look for throughout the rest of the season. When, when I look, too, here at um, that, that Texas Tech offense, when they had – they tied the game up 13-13, and you know, we talked a little bit about how Texas Tech is, is going to be aggressive and is going to be aggressive in going for it. Uh, on fourth and three at the K-State 21-yard line, they opt to kick a field goal to tie the game, and I was pretty sure that they were going to go for that one. Uh, they, they opt to tie it, and, and at this point, probably the right thing to do because you see this K-State offense not quite uh, really clicking like they were earlier. Uh, but with K State, they were able to answer just when they needed when they needed something. Uh, with Deuce Vaughn getting a big run down there to uh, to set up a, a two play scoring drive for Kansas State. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that was uh, one of the bigger sequences in the game because when K State got the ball uh, tied thirteen to thirteen, it had been a while since K State had put any points on the board. I mean, you look back at these drives, and I'm stretching through the first half, and you, you, you hear a lot of people, a lot of people were upset with the way the second quarter went. But you look back at the drives, and you think, okay, well, after the two field goals, that's when Deuce gets hurt. 
and has the fumble. Yep, yep, absolutely. And, and that was as, as uh, kind of as quiet as, as it got uh, on Saturday at the Bill. Uh, you know, first, you hold, anytime 22 goes down, you hold your breath. But thankfully, just got the wind knocked out of him. He, he mentioned during the game, he's like, it was one of those terrible, terrible sequences. Not only do I fumble, I'm laying down there on the ground, and I see this big this old giant <laughs> fall on my chest, and I can't do anything because you, you're not going to stick your arm out to protect because you don't want to want to break your arm necessarily. Uh, but uh, thankfully, nothing serious there for Deuce as he was able to come back in and, and, and really didn't miss any time at all. Uh, but K State's able to get that touchdown. Now Texas Tech's able to go right down the field and tie it back up twenty twenty, and then K State has to has to. Uh, to, to punt here on their next drive. And this is really kind of the sequence of the game for me. Yeah. Um, these these next two or three drives. Yeah, so Texas Tech, uh, after, after K-State punts the ball back to them, uh, they move the ball down and they get the big pass play uh, down to, uh, to Cleveland down there on the left side, right on the K-State sideline, where he's able to take it deep into K-State territory. And so they have first and 10 at the 15, and they end up stalling out uh, with, with a sack and a holding, uh, with, with a, a sack by Khalid Duke that we just end up declining, which I thought was interesting. Um, you thought maybe you'd want to maybe push him back a little bit further, but with how Texas Tech's deep offense is, it was kind of finding some traction there, probably the right move to, to, take the, to take the down rather than the extra penalty yardage. And uh, we're able to get... Uh, to force Trey Wolf to, to kick a 42-yard field goal, which he had been making, uh, but he has to attempt, uh, attempt it down at the south end zone, which uh, wind, was, wind was swirling a little bit uh, down there, and uh, he's able to miss it. At that point, uh, with, with at the start of the fourth quarter, that game's totally up for grabs, uh, and, and really, quite frankly, as a K-State fan, I wasn't feeling very good about where we were sitting at uh, heading into the fourth quarter. But after that field goal uh, miss, K-State rolls off 17 points in a row. Uh, the big plays, uh, of course, being Adrian Martinez running for a 69-yard touchdown on the next drive. And uh, then uh, K-State holding uh, Texas Tech after a nice uh, kick return. Uh, or after, excuse me, after we kicked the ball out of bounds, uh, where we hold uh, Texas Tech, they go for it on, on their side of the forty or on their side of the midfield at uh, at their own forty. We punch in a field goal there, and then uh, the Adrian Martinez run on the, on the short side option, which we love seeing. We love uh, to see it, uh, especially you know there's somebody up there at at the Bill that's a listener of the short side option. Yeah, because right after the short side option, what do they play over the loudspeaker? Nothing but money for nothing. Yep. Nothing else. Yep. Nothing else to play. So they know we love seeing that. And, and K State's able to. Uh, you know, Texas Tech's able to make it a little bit interesting there after they go back down and score and then recover an onside kick. Yep. Uh, the Julius Brents interception really iced the, iced the thing. I mean, at that point, even still, it was 28-17, which, was, which of course, is the final score. Uh, so still a nine-point game at that point, so two possessions. Uh, but after the uh, the interception by Brents, that, that sealed it. Yeah, and, you know, a lot was made of the whistle. Yep, that, and that was big. I, man... For the life of me, I was there, and you were too. Mm-hmm. And afterwards, I'm there's all the talk among the officials, and I'm looking at Twitter to, as I do to see what people that can watch it on TV. Because I'm thinking 
well, was it an interception or yeah, not? Yeah. That's that's where my head's going is, is oh, did, did he actually get it or did it hit the ground? I didn't notice any whistles stick, like in the stadium at all. Yeah. I think it came through a lot more on TV. I, I heard it from where I was set in the south end zone. Um, but let, let's go into a little bit of what, what took place there. There was a pass down the middle uh, where Texas Tech receiver makes a nice catch. I thought possibly an incomplete pass there, and that's ultimately what spurned the whistle is because they were going to review the play, but the play was snapped, and it's a little bit of a gray area because how many times have you seen it where you know play gets ran, but they, oh, no, we whistled it dead because we're reviewing this. They let the play continue because the whistle had came... Just like a half second too late. Well, you go watch on TV. I I watched it over just to see what happened, and it doesn't sound like the whistle's blown until Brent Stamnier has the ball. Yeah, I mean there was enough time that I, I think it was. You now, granted, I'm looking at it through probably purple shaded glasses here a little bit. But the whistle didn't impact the play at all. No, it didn't. And that's what where all this stuff about you know Joey McGuire losing his mind in excuse me. While 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 is looking for a sneeze here, um, <coughs> oh, it's gone. It's gone there. Oh. But uh, you know, no, the, I don't get it. I, it's like he he makes a big deal about it in his press conference, and oh, I don't want to get in trouble with the Big Twelve Conference. It's like fair enough. Maybe there was a whistle, and maybe because there was a whistle at some point in the play, then you just no one really wash it out. Yeah. But it's a total technicality. I mean that the, the whistle didn't impact anything. Well, and here's the other side of the coin is, what if they throw a touchdown there? Right. I mean, are, 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 or, or pick up another first down, are, are you really complaining about it at that point? Of course not. So, uh, with that being said, the whistle took place too late. But I've seen a lot of K-State fans be like, oh, that was t- such BS. Like, no. uh, I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was either. I mean, maybe it was an inadvertent whistle, and by rule it should have gone back. But as far as impacting anything that actually happened throughout the play, I don't think it... Yeah. It's not like anybody was gave up on the play because they heard a whistle. Yeah, I thought that was a... Um, much to do about nothing, really. And I, and I think we have the same opinion there. Um, one thing that I want to mention, too, is um, just a little bit to there. You know, they go for it on, on that fourth down on their, uh, their 40-yard line. Nice play by Echo, uh, coming back and, and knocking the ball down there in good coverage. You know, he had that one uh, really nice throw and catch there uh, where he's kind of gets drugged down the field there by Cleveland. He comes back and makes a nice play on that fourth down. In one case, they got that 10-point lead. You know, they're not able to pay off another really good field position uh, situation with a touchdown, but rather the field goal. that field goal was, of, of course, very important there to make it a, a two-score game. You know, KT Levison goes out to, and I, I just have a couple of notes written down here. He goes out, he gets poked in the eye. He he returns to the game. But during that stretch, they moved Del Forge inside to uh, guard and swung BB out to tackle. Yeah. Something to keep an eye on in terms of maybe what some future offensive line, um, offensive line combinations could be going on. I, I made a note. Levison poked in the eye. Ouch. Yeah. That That's no fun. Well... Maybe a hands to the face there at some point. You know, and uh, then then really the big play there after we get it to twenty or to a ten point lead. 
Felix Anaduke strip sack. Hints picks it up there. And uh, at that point, K-State runs it in there on the short side option with uh, – with uh, with Adrian Martinez. And what I was going to mention there, too, on that short side option, they go trips and they bunch them to the wide side of the field. Tech tips off the, their blitz where they're coming from the field side. So really the short side option is the perfect call in that situation. Yeah. It's the perfect call in a lot of situations, mm-hmm. but especially in that situation. They tip off their blitz. It's a quick check at the line of scrimmage. And really, at that point, you just carve everyone inside, and there's one guy there, and he's got a he has one guy. There's one guy for Texas Tech, and there's two guys for K State with Adrian Martinez and uh, Deuce Vaughn. The Tech man's in, in, in no man's land there, and he he takes the pitch with Deuce. Adrian Martinez strolls in for for he got to crawl in for a touchdown. Yeah, there. bad job by that Tech guy. You you always got to make the pitch. You got to yeah. have him make the pitch. Yep. And uh, that was really it. Um, I think, you know, when you look back at it, big plays really were, were the name of the game for K-State yeah. offensively. And you look at that against an, an Iowa State defense in, who we played this week, which, we'll, of course, we'll get into more. But you you worry a little bit about that, saying how sustainable are these big plays? If K-State's going to be a big play offense, is it going to be – you know, we have to rely on those big plays because we're not going to be able to to continually have those eight-play, nine-play drives where we're able to have that sustained running tech up and down the field, uh, especially as, as teams game plan against that. It, it leaves some concern because I, I don't know exactly if K-State's going to be an explosive play offense and have these, uh, you know, big, big plays, that's great. That's what you want to have is that mm-hmm. explosive play, but... I think really what you said, too, in about kind of going into the red zone aspect of it, I think that can be kind of extended out throughout the rest of the offense, too. Not necessarily just in the red zone, but being able to find kind of some of that intermediate passing game. I thought we showed that at times, uh, of course, on that second drive is really what I come back to, where K-State really looked good moving the ball down the field. They do stall out there, but uh, the intermediate passing game is something that uh, I think – is going to be a question here throughout, and it's it, it, we have to have some some of those guys in the wide receiving ranks uh, step up to be to be reliable playmakers. Yeah, and you know I was thinking about this, and it number one, I don't really want to be too critical of of the offense on a week where well on the heels of two weeks where through two games in conference play they're averaging what about. 39 points per game, yeah, about... 41 in, in 37, you know, so... Probably close to 480 yards of offense per game and 7 or 8 yards per play. I mean, the offensive efficiency is pretty impressive, but... And it's easy to say, well, yes, but a lot of those are coming on a handful of huge chunk plays. We're not consistently getting success... Basically, a low success rate... It, is what the analytics call it, where mm-hmm. it's you're not you're you're facing a lot of second and eights or third and sixes, yep. and that's fair because K State's been facing a lot of that. You'd, you'd like to see a higher success rate where you get five yards on first down and end up with a third and two. But um, like I said at the start of the podcast, is that's what it looks like when teams settle out to stop the exactly. run against a a really explosive rush offense. Because Deuce is not a bruiser. He's not Daniel Thomas. He's not the guy who's going to 
barrel ahead for four yards a snap. And you know what else? Adrian Martinez isn't Colin Klein. He, that's not, they're just different styles. These guys are uh, high reward, uh, higher risk on any given play type players where, um, you know, Deuce is going, there's going to be times where Deuce gets stopped at the line. And there's there's going to be times where Martinez gets stopped at the line. And, and that's just kind of the nature of our running game. But because, you know, they, they might stop you at the line every seven or eight runs. But yep. then that ninth one, they bust off one for 20, 25. Or, I mean, Martinez had a 55-yard run on Saturday called back for holding. Yep. And you add that to the list, and all of a sudden it's, well, K-State didn't run for uh, 340 yards. They ran for close to 400, and yep. Martinez had 220. And so um, that, that's one thing to keep in mind. In number so that's that's one thing. With respect to the passing game, you have to look at this offense and, and kind of keep in mind what the offense is. Because you look up and down the offense and you think, oh, that's why we're not a very effective passing offense. Because, number one, I, I talked about it earlier, the offensive line I don't think is a particularly good pass-blocking unit. And maybe that's because uh, the tackles, I that's not really... Our offensive line strength, I think, especially when you have uh, Panzer in there, who's inexperienced. And I think our tackles, I, I don't think that KT is a better tackle than BB. No, and, I don't. And so the tackles probably aren't the strongest. Um, and then on top of that, you're facing teams who are expecting run every down. And so they're bringing heat. Um, and so you're going to have Martinez bouncing around back there, which gets me to Martinez. Very good scrambler, very good in space. Probably one of the best runners K-State's ever had at the quarterback position. I mean, I think he's up there with Roberson and Bishop. Um, but Lisa is not perfect in the passing game. That's not his strength. And then you look at the wide receivers, who we've been talking about now for the last three years with really – Pretty much the same guys. Yeah, it, and, it has been, yeah. And, you know, Malik is what he... I mean, he's inconsistent. Let's call it like it is. Because he'll have some games where he flashes and looks great, and he'll have some games where I don't know that he had a catch on Saturday. And so, or if he did, it yeah, was... Yeah, I think uh, I think it was one catch. Yeah, I looked at this. One catch for 13 yards. And so, you look at the offense and you think, well, gosh, it'd be great if we had a passing game. And that's true. But you look at the guys out there and you think, I don't know why we should really expect to have a very good passing offense. And now, all that said, at the end of the day, we have a pretty darn good offense. Yep, it I all think. works. I mean, yeah. it, I think we've faced uh, a Texas Tech defense, which I was pretty impressed with I for three too. games, uh, or through four games, and put up 37 points and ran for 370 yards again, or 340 yards. And so... You just take the good with the bad. If if K State can develop and and put together a nice reliable passing offense, that's that would be great. But in in the two lane game, we needed it and it wasn't there. But I'm willing to call that an aberration. But if there comes a point where K State needs to pass and we can't and it costs us a the game, then I'll concede that yeah, that was really a devastating mark for this offense. But so far, we haven't really seen that. And so maybe this weekend we'll say, man, we needed a uh, passing game. That that was our downfall this game. 
or maybe it's against Baylor or Oklahoma State, or maybe it's never. I mean, maybe this pass, maybe this rush offense is lethal enough, and because teams do it. I mean, you look back at the 2000 offense, for instance, and the numbers probably aren't that different than what we saw on Saturday against Texas Tech, where you have 340 yards passing, and Jonathan Beasley puts up 115 yards in the air, and K-State goes and wins by multiple scores. And so it's a long way of saying that don't expect this offense to look extremely sharp in the passing game because I don't think they are. And I don't know that we can scheme smoke and mirrors our way to reliably putting up 200, 225, 230 yards of passing each week because I don't think it's there. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. I think that's a really good point, too, that you know, be great to have that, but – if everything else is working offensively as it has so far in conference play, you don't really need that necessarily. And uh, now against maybe some uh, of the uh, the tougher defenses that we'll see in the Big 12, that passing game maybe comes together a little bit as we get a little bit later on in the season. Who knows? Yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of with you there on that part. One other thing I wanted to be sure to mention – uh, and I think you made this point uh, as point number one. When you're going up against a team that is is either just playing base defense where they're playing man on the outside and they're staying in their kind of a heavier set where they're really selling out against the run, you're going to have those plays where you're going to have a lot of two or three yard gains and then you bust one off for 25 or, or, or longer. Mm-hmm. And, and that's going to have to be something that's we're, we're going to see throughout the year. And it's one of those things is when you get it blocked perfectly and, and they either you run away from the blitz or you run right into the teeth of the blitz, but you hit all the blocks and, and a guy is able to make a guy miss, you're going to see those long runs. And I don't think that that's it, that explosive play uh, nature of this K-State offense, I don't think that's something that's going to go away. Because right. I think as long as you see teams that are going to continually sell out against it, we have enough – players with Adrian Martinez, with Deuce Vaughn, whether if it's with Malik Knowles in some sweep action, sweep action uh, as we saw against uh, South Dakota on the first play of the game. There's enough playmakers out there where that aspect of it, I don't think is going to go away. So when we look at that side of things, yeah, there might be a couple times where you feel like we're beating our head into a wall by running the same play or by running the same kind of stuff here. And only two yards here, only three yards here. But then if you stay with it long enough, uh, either lack of assignments uh, or we call the perfect play when a team's in a run blitz or we just make a guy miss, we have the players to be able to do that, uh, to have those impactful plays. So I don't know if there's anything else I want to cover on the offensive side of the ball. Thought they did a pretty good job. And, of course, whenever you run for 343 yards, uh, you'll take that any day of the week. Most definitely. Most definitely. I I think – uh, it's easy to be frustrated, and really the pass blocking is my is my biggest concern. Just because you expect the offensive line to be nails at everything, and giving up some sacks at key times is a little disappointing. But on the whole, thirty seven points, three hundred and forty yards of rushing. I mean, on a day where K State puts up four hundred fifty yards of offense, it's like on what fifty seven, fifty eight plays. Like that's a not a bad day at the office. You know, yeah, so I'm looking here, 39 rushes for 343 yards, 8 uh, yards a carry, uh, 116 yards in the, pass, in the passing game. So 
Something to keep an eye on here, uh, as you mentioned, 39 rushes, 12 passes, 51 plays um, there for Kansas State, and that's even including an, uh, a few kneel downs at the end. Let's go ahead and hop into the defense here. We mentioned Felix Anaduke, Uzama, uh, Khalid Duke go out there, and they have three sacks apiece. Uh, Duke garnering Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week honors, well-deserved by uh, Khalid Duke, and I want to get to him first. This is a guy that we didn't really have. Uh, when I say we, I, I shouldn't speak for you, but I did not really have overly high expectations for what he might be able to do coming off of a, of a knee injury uh, last year. He's been tremendous, uh, really, throughout uh, throughout the young season. And really with how they've implemented him, you know, early on in the season, it was you know, kind of on a pitch count. Now he's really, you know, going to be getting those frontline snaps, it appears. And as long as he's able to stay healthy, uh, you see, I think, what uh, it has the potential. Nate Matlack coming back from a little bit of an injury. I expect him to continue to be a little bit uh, fresher here. And, and, of course, the bye week is coming at, at a good time for Kansas State. Uh, here after the Iowa State game is when we have our bye. But uh, this defensive line, we thought this was going to be a game where K-State uh, would have some success in that area, and they and they certainly did on Saturday. Yeah, no, I mean, the that pass rush, I think, is just... We're really... We had a lot of confidence in our defensive ends coming into the season, and, and really the entire defensive line. And well, we had confidence throughout the defense. But I think the story of the game on Saturday was K-State was Felix and Khalid Duke just living in the backfield, um, coming up with six sacks between the two of them, uh, turnovers. That The defense on Saturday put together, I think, probably their most impressive performance of the season. Uh, I would agree in terms that. of really limiting what Tech wanted to do. Now, they had a couple rough drives. The field goal drive before the half was yeah. I think infuriating. Was, I think it was Kobe Savage it with, was. The, with the uh, the personal foul that really got them in position where they could kick that uh, field goal to end the half. And it was bang bang, but that's really not a time to be riding the edge like that. I mean, you have to be, you have to understand the situation and understand that a fifteen yard penalty in this spot is devastating. And so, and Texas Tech has a good enough kicker to where you know they're able to make you pay for that. Too. Absolutely, and and not that he's thinking about how good Texas Tech's yeah, kicker sure. is, but you you have to know that right around the fifty yard line with ten seconds left in the half, you can't take a fifteen yard penalty, bud. No, absolutely. Um, and so that was frustrating. Uh, Tech got rolling, and, and Donovan Smith uh, did some nice things for really about. 14 minutes of game time uh, and then reverted back to the Donovan Smith that we saw the rest of the game. And so, but that's what we talked about. That's what Texas Tech is, is that they are feast or famine um, and kind of ride on the shoulders of Donovan Smith while Tasho is out with injury. And so, um, but the defense, I thought they did an excellent job of really living in the backfield. I thought the Secondary held up fairly well. Um, you know, they a little leaky at times, but on the whole, not a lot to complain about holding the Texas Tech to uh, really 21 points. 
Um, you know, that for, for the last two weeks now, K-State's kind of had a, not quite prevent, but the defense where it's, yeah. you can score, but we're going to make you run three or four minutes off the clock to do yep. it. Yep. And so I'm not beating them up for that uh, final touchdown Texas Technical had. But holding it, that team to... Essentially really, 20 points. Yeah, through 57 minutes, um, I think is a very good showing. Absolutely. I, I can't take anything away from that. Uh, you know, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the linebacking core. Uh, Austin Moore thought played another really good game, kind of get involved in the uh, – even in pass coverage. He had a couple uh, plays where uh, on the Julius Brintz interception that uh, ultimately sealed the deal. He was right there as well uh, with some good defense. You know, I looked at what the linebacking core ha- has been able to provide. Thought that was a big question mark coming in. They've acquitted, uh, acquitted themselves very well here for, through the first uh, five games of the season. Another one that I want to mention, uh, Gavin Forsha. Yeah. Uh, he he gets uh, he gets his you know first really extended action, uh, and he he's able to uh, to get two tackles. I mean, obviously not a not a banner game necessarily. Maybe uh, you know maybe paving his way for a future Wildcat legend uh, appearance. Uh, you know with his performance against Texas Tech, but I you know it was interesting to see him get a little bit of run. Uh, wanted to kind of get your thoughts on what you saw from the linebacking core uh, on Saturday. Yeah, well, I mean, number one, Forsha, I thought played pretty, pretty good. I uh, remember being up in my seats and seeing number twenty-seven. Yeah, there, and I was, and I couldn't read the nameplate, and I was like, "Who is number twenty-seven? And then he got a tackle, and I was like, "Oh, Gavin Forsha, welcome to uh, K State." Um, but yeah, I, you're seeing our linebackers get spelled a little bit more than what I expected. Um, guys like, well, obviously Austin Moore's a, a mainstay now, uh, with the news, Will Honus, unlikely to see any action the yep. rest of the season. Yep. Um, and, oh, who's the other one? Nick Allen. Nick Allen. That's Nick Allen. Yeah, Nick Allen and Desmond Purnell also kind of get into that yeah. rotation a little bit more. And, you know, and also too, in that final drive where, where Texas Tech's able to score a touchdown and get the two-point conversion... You know, we were playing kind of a, a a mismatch of our of our twos and threes at that point, which you know, not necessarily to take anything away from Texas Tech, you know, with that situation, but it's nice to be able to get some of those guys uh, into some action, let them see the bullets fly firsthand. A little yeah, bit. get them and, out. Well, there. it's important to see the bullets fly. You know, um, I am. I feel like Daniel Green should be playing uh, a lot more than he is. <laughs> I, yeah, and he, I want to see him in on nine out of ten defensive plays. You wonder if that rotation gets a little bit tightened up. I, I know I think that this bye week, and I know I mentioned it here after the Iowa State game. I think it comes at a really good time to let to get some guys some rest, uh, get them off their feet a little bit, and also just for for some injuries to heal up. I know at this point, you know, we mentioned Nate Matlack. He, he does have two fumble recoveries uh, on Saturday, but you know, not maybe. Uh, and he was in the backfield um, quite a bit. Uh, he, he almost brought Donovan Smith down. And, you know, I want to get back to Donovan Smith, too, because this is a guy that I'm – this is the first time I got to see him, you know, live in action necessarily. Your, your, um, your scouting part on him was pretty much dead on. I, I was very confident, and I, I understood who Donovan Smith was as a player. 
You say and he's agnostic to the pressure that he feels in the pocket. He does not. It doesn't even cross his mind. He is the pressure. <laughs> yeah, he is. I mean, it totally. Amb- oh, there's somebody rushing free at me. Don't care. It, am I going? I like. You know, I like what he has has to offer some, as a player. I kind of like him too, and because some quarterbacks they see a guy coming, and they think I have to yeah, get rid of the ball. I have to get rid of the ball, or I have to run, or they they panic. Uh, and then sometimes they make a good decision, sometimes they make a bad decision. Donovan Smith, though, it's the last thing on his mind. It's there. There may be pressure coming, but he's not going to let that bother him. He's yes, not going to let that. Change the way he's he's going to run the play, whether it's get the ball out a little earlier, maybe move um, or secure the ball. Uh, but no, I like Donovan Smith too. I can see why tech people are ready for him to not be starting. Their yeah, court. The, some of the he he can make some great plays when he stands in. He can also hold on the ball too long and and lead to turnovers, which we saw. Was the case on Saturday, but it'll be interesting to see kind of how he progresses. But he's only a sophomore. Yeah, I think I, I think he's got the tools to do some good things for Texas Tech. Absolutely. So it'll be interesting to track his progress. You know, and the other thing I want to mention too, uh, as we we kind of get through here on the defense. You know, the thing that I like most about so far the K State defense here through five games is the guys that we were, were rotating in and bringing in. And you know, this seems to me is the basis for wanting to do that. You have guys like Jalen Pickle, played a lot of football for K-State. Mm-hmm. If that's a guy that is coming in here and kind of maybe playing, you know, you know, if, if a team's running 60 plays, let's say, a game, and he's playing 25 of them or 20 of them, just depending on maybe the situation, that's really good to have, have a guy that's seen so much action uh, you know, another guy, Brent, uh, Brendan Mott, who I think has played really well here yeah. throughout. Uh, he, he is get a, uh, one play that I thought was really big uh, when, when Texas Tech is, is getting some offense going. He's able to uh, draw a holding penalty to, to get uh, Texas Tech behind the chains. You know, obviously, are those guys going to be confused for Felix Anduke, Azama, and, and Khalid Duke? No. But they're good enough to be able to provide some of that, um, to provide some of those spells uh, for those guys. So when we do have our top line guys in there, they might only be on snap 30 or, you know, 25 or something yeah. like that. And they're much fresher. And you're able to see, as as Felix Anaduke, Uzama, and, and Duke were able to stay fresh throughout the game, I thought that was a big thing too. And they're able to continue going after Donovan Smith. And uh, I expect that to be kind of the, the same you know the, the same mo for for K State defensively is, is to be able to rotate enough of those guys to keep those the big guns fresh. Uh, so when it, it, it kind of, kind of comes down to closing time, those guys are are able to go full bore. Yeah, for a three man front, K State has probably seven or eight guys that see the field that you're pretty comfortable. Yeah, uh-huh. and they and that's the thing too is it's maybe not guys that necessarily you pencil it out. We have to get you know, Brendan Mott out there in passing situations. You know, we have to get him out there. But he, they've kind of developed into these guys, whether it's just by getting enough of those reps to where they've earned the opportunity to go in there and, and feel really good about what they're able to do uh, in those situations. Yeah, I mean, even a guy like like your boy Uso Samalu, yeah. he, he got some run on Saturday. And, yeah, um, absolutely. But it, it's just nice. That is just... We've said it all season that that is the deepest part of our team, 
and they have I think they took over the game on on Saturday or certainly one of the biggest reasons K-State was able to pull it out um, not only with the sacks but also with turnovers and so it's a huge point of strength for K-State and when you can have a good defensive line that, that gets in the backfield with only three, four uh, and sometimes three guys that's uh, that makes a big difference and makes everybody's job easier. I feel like we're going to be t- talking about the defensive line here a little bit more uh, as we uh, kind of put a bow here on the Texas Tech review and get into the Iowa State preview. Deli, anything else you want to mention here uh, as K State's able to to beat Texas Tech thirty seven twenty eight last Saturday? No, I think we I think we nailed it. Let's get into Iowa State then. All right. Now Iowa State they drop one to Kansas fourteen to eleven. Kind of a an odd game, one that Iowa State probably feels they should have won. Yeah. Uh, their kicker misses several field goals. Uh, two of them, I believe, off the upright, and then the other one way uh, wide here as as, uh, as it's kind of a final shot there for Iowa State. This Iowa State defense is where I want to start at. I think this is the best defense K-State will have played so far here in this young season. And with the, Johnny Heacock... And uh, what he's able to do, Matt Campbell on the defensive side of the ball at Iowa State. This is going to be a tough test for Kansas State offensively. We talked about the explosive plays uh, that they've been able to have offensively here through the first two games of conference play. I look at what this matchup has for K-State in store. What can K-State do offensively? Uh, to have some success against what's a really stingy Iowa State defense. Well, if I was, if I knew the answer to that question, Icon, I'd be making probably somewhere in the range of four hundred thousand, five hundred thousand dollars as an offensive coordinator in the Big Twelve because this Iowa State defense is just good. I mean, we talked about last week. You, I said this Texas Tech defensive line is one of the best in the conference. I said, but they're a little leaky on the back end. The the secondary tackling not very good. Iowa State, you look up and down the defense, and there's just not really a soft spot in it, or at least not a soft spot that I'm confident K-State's going to be able to consistently exploit. Um, through my film session, I there were some times where, where Baylor was able to um, kind of take advantage of the back end a little bit with, with some deep balls, mm-hmm. and I'm just not certain that, that K-State is really has that in their DNA. And maybe I'll be wrong, but I think it's I think yards are gonna be at a premium on Saturday because, you know, I've I've watched a lot of K State football this season and I've watched a good deal of Iowa State football so far. And teams struggle. Teams do not score easy against Iowa State. Now again, Baylor, they were able to put up more than thirty. Um part of that was short fields. Uh hell you look at KU on Saturday, they, this dynamic offense, Jalen Daniels, the Heisman, the September Heisman winner. And I was really impressed with KU's offense, and I was like, I'm going to be fascinated to see what happens when this unstoppable force meets an immovable object. What happened? KU's offense puts up 14 points, one of which comes on an interception inside the 20-yard line. Yeah. And yeah, so- KU didn't really have a whole lot of success offensively, and I – you know, I was, was able to move the ball some, but once yeah. they got to about the the Iowa State forty, once they got to the Iowa State side of the field, it was um, either a brutal penalty, a, a, a sack, or, or or something that would uh, stall out 
the drive. And um, and so I I look at this Iowa State defense and I say I don't really know. <laughs> I don't know what K State does because I think it's the this offensive line hasn't convinced me that they're good enough to just brutalize a really good defense that's good top to bottom. Um, I don't know that uh, Adrian Martinez is going to be able to pass consistently. So if K-State scores more than 20 points on Saturday, which is a low number for any team in in the Big 12 on a given Saturday, um, I'll be pretty impressed <laughs> with that. But uh, I don't know that I, – I think 20 is going to be hard to score. You know, I think we see this game – Pretty similarly, and I'm anxious to get to our predictions. But one thing that I'd like to see K State do a little bit offensively is when we talk about it, having mentioned this earlier, with the K State offense, seems to be pretty predictable on first down, uh, with with either running read or power or, or a dive concept play uh, into the A gap with with Deuce Vaughn. I'd like to see us get a little bit more outside of that uh, with with how we utilize 22. I look for a little bit more in the screen game, maybe getting them outside out wide a little bit more because this Iowa State defense is pretty pretty solid up the middle. Maybe get them out in, in some jet sweep action. Whether it's into Will McDonald? Away from him. <laughs> not, 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 necessarily, not, yeah. not, to, not to him, but you know sometimes that's the best way, Deli. To get a, a talented pass rusher uh, a little bit off their game is by yeah. running right at them a little bit. And uh, I, I look to see K-State be able to maybe utilize, whether if it's Philip Brooks, whether if it's Malik Knowles, whether if it's uh, Deuce Vaughn in, in a little bit more perimeter run game. Also, how, how often have we seen Deuce Vaughn really line up in the slot as a primary receiver? Not a ton. Maybe see that as an option for Keaton State uh, here on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, I'm... I'm open to anything. I, I just I just think, you know, I a lot of times I watch the film and I say, you know, I think that the strength of this defense is their run defense or, or their defensive line or they're soft up front, but they have a secondary that you can really kind of exploit. But it, and maybe KU had an off day on Saturday and who knows. But I look at this Iowa State defense and I say, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm... I'm Maybe it's going to be as simple as we just need to kind of do what we did against Oklahoma and devote some more to Martinez on designed runs because that that seems like it works. That seems that seems like a great plan. <laughs> uh, Oklahoma had no answer for that. Texas Tech didn't have a consistent answer for that. Um, and so maybe that's what we see. Maybe it's maybe we see more option play, um, more speed option type stuff, but. Uh, what I don't think is going to work is K-State's game plan that they ran against Texas Tech that was really just vanilla stuff for, for most of the afternoon because I don't know that your vanilla zone read or your vanilla reads to Deuce or the uh, or the zone plays to Deuce or the, the power inside to Deuce. I, I just don't know that that's where K-State's going to be able to to butter to get anything going, because Iowa State's not a defense that really needs to sell out, stop anything. I mean, I think that they're just balanced enough where they feel good enough about their uh, their front seven, so to speak. I know it's not really a front seven anymore, 
or at least for Iowa State because they run that three-man front, mm-hmm. um, that they aren't really going to have to be bringing up secondary guys to to bottle up our, our running attack. And so, I don't know. I, I think this is a week where I think K-State – if there's a week where K-State uh, can figure out the passing game, I think it's this week. Um, because that would be extremely convenient to, to keep a little bit of balance um, against Iowa State, not be so predictable. But um, I will say, one thing about the Texas Tech game that I found very interesting was the flea flicker call. Yeah, it, I, I was going to go back to that. It didn't work. That had no business not working. You know, and you give credit, they, they flashed the All-22 footage, uh, too, when, uh, after that play, Texas Tech's defensive backs stayed stayed uh, true to their keys there, and uh, there really was nothing to, to throw to down the field, but you're absolutely right. Those kind of shots, I mean, you look at what, um, what you mentioned some success that Baylor had against Iowa Well, State. that's where I was getting yeah. at, that yeah. double reverse uh I guess it's a flea flicker. Yeah, where and that's just such back. a long developing play. To you have to have kind of a lot of things have to go, go right, right for that yeah. to happen. But that was about that was I think their longest play of the day, about mm-hmm. a fifty yard uh, double reverse flea flicker. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so susceptible to that. I mean, if if you could pull it off, um, and so maybe it's that sort of misdirection type of stuff that K State can have some success with, but. And that's the thing. I there are some weeks where I'm confident that there are some defenses that I think K State can go up against and figure something out. I just don't know where the where the yards come against this Iowa State defense. Well, it's going to be tough sledding uh, for for the K State offense. We both expect that going into uh, to Saturday's matchup in Ames. Let's uh, let's flip side of the ball and uh, let's, yeah, let's let's do that because this will be more fun to uh, chat about. You know, we, we mentioned K-State's defensive line really having a, a nice game against uh, Texas Tech. From what we've seen from Hunter Deckers, I, I should say from what I've seen, I, I think maybe our answer might be pretty darn similar here. But uh, Hunter Deckers, now that's a guy that K-State was recruiting. Yes. Uh, yeah, the, the big lefty uh, for, for the Cyclones. Uh, so familiar with him if you, you follow the, uh, the, the recruiting side of things a little bit. Uh, but you know this is a guy that's making his first year uh, of really uh, starting being the the head signal caller here for the Cyclones, and it, it's been pretty mixed for him so far. I mean, eleven touchdowns, six t- interceptions, uh, complete about seventy percent of his passes. So that's that that stands out a little bit here. But with Hunter Deckers, what I've noticed is that Iowa State's offensive line leaky. Uh, and really with what Iowa State's able to do running the ball, uh, Jabril Brock banged up. He's probably not going to be a factor here uh, on Saturday. Yeah. You had mentioned that he, he's likely out for this game. Matthew Campbell said that he wasn't really uh, expecting him to be able to go on Saturday. So I look at this Iowa State offense and for as many questions as we have about what the K-State offense is able to do, I think those uh, concerns are probably more amplified on the Iowa State side of things. Uh, Hunter Deckers hasn't quite necessarily shown that ability uh, to really kind of get through all of his reads so far, and that offensive line hasn't really given him a whole lot of time to do that. Uh, KU was able to get pressure with three and four guys 
uh, and they were also able to, to, to get pressure when they were sending more than that, too, uh, as they were able to mix it up and kind of confuse them with some different looks. I look for K-State to really look at what they saw on tape last week against K, or with Iowa State against KU and say there's no reason we can't uh, replicate uh, a very similar game plan and, and keep this Iowa State offense uh, you know, look, looking in a tough situation where they're going to be going uphill most of the day. Yeah, and... You know, Hunter Deckers is is an interesting quarterback to watch because he's the beat on him was that he had at least when he was a high school player was that this guy's got a big arm, alive as arm as there is, and um, and he does he he he's he can get the ball downfield and, and make you pay, um, but that offensive well, we'll stick with Deckers for a second. He, uh, he he does a good job getting the ball downfield, but his intermediate stuff is uh, inconsistent at best, and oftentimes it just looks like he and his receivers aren't really on the same page. I mean, y- you mentioned 70% completion percentage. Not bad, but a lot of that Iowa State passing offense, a pretty significant portion of it is those bubble screens where they're trying to get the ball out to Jalen Noel, Xavier Hutchinson, some of those playmakers they have on the outside uh, to get upfield. And frankly, I think that's one area K-State's secondary, especially the cornerbacks and safeties like Hayes especially, are pretty good at getting downfield and blowing up those those quick hitters to the outside almost immediately. Now, Tech got loose on one of them on Saturday, but um, that doesn't give me much worry. But where, where Deckers gets into trouble is in some of those 7, 8, 9, 12, 15-yard routes. The ones where he can't really gear up and just throw a post or, or something way downfield. It's really that timing stuff he just isn't quite there yet on. And multiple times in the Baylor game and in the Kansas game, he makes the throw to a guy running like a hook route well before the guy is even close to being ready yeah. to turn around. Um, Jacoby Bryant uh, had a really impressive interception for KU on Saturday. I think it's just Kobe Bryant. Well. The Mamba. No. He's Jacoby Bryant. Okay. And that's. Say, say, he, he comes from the same. Uh, that Kobe's boy? <laughs> yeah. You know, he. Um, him and Joe Hennington, they get together uh, every now and then as well, you know. Yeah, and uh, Mitch Trubisky. Um, yes. But, so that's that's kind of my read on him. And not the best pocket presence either. He, he is not a runner. And he doesn't strike me as slow, but he just strikes me as running just isn't really his favorite thing to do. I mean, he's not Jason White, but he's... Uh, he just has no real inclination to run. I, I think he's not quite the Donovan Smith level of ambivalent about pressure, but um, he's not going to do much to escape the pocket. Uh, and that's kind of the Iowa State offense. I mean, you you go and look at their tape, and they they can't really get any push in the running game. They'll break off a, a couple, but as you mentioned, Brock is unlikely to play. On Saturday, yeah, um, the guys behind him are just guys. I, I don't, I don't think that that they're going to strike fear. Uh, who was their leading rusher on Saturday, aside from 
You know, I, Brock, I think, had one carry. Yeah, so right now, I, I and I'll get that pulled up for you here, Nelly, but, uh, you know, uh, let's see here. Uh, Deion Silas really was the, the bell cow running back for Iowa State. He 12 carries for 29 yards. Uh, not really what you're, what you're looking for there from, from, the legend. Iowa, from the Iowa State perspective, you know, it, for uh, – for, for, for them here on Saturday. So Deion Silas and Eli Sanders likely going to be the two guys that get the most uh, the most uh, totes of the rock on Saturday. You know, really what it comes down to with, with K-State, and I think it's a nice place to be in if you're Joe Klanderman in, in this K-State defense, is you look at a couple different things you can do. I think K-State's going to be able to get pressure with three or four guys on the pass rush side of things. You can use that, drop seven or eight, and really maybe be a little bit more uh, exotic with, with what you do back there, whether if it's just playing straight zone, maybe play a little bit more man, maybe bring some zone blitz. I think that there's a lot of different opportunities for this K-State defense to attack what what is a, an Iowa State offense that's having trouble keeping up their quarterback upright and is not really able to have a whole lot of success here in the running game situation. So when I look at this matchup for K-State's defense, uh, I expect K-State to play really well uh, on Saturday on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and I, I think you said it. I, I think the question for Klanderman is, well, um, do we think we can get pressure with three? Because at the end of the day, K-State needs to get pressure on Deckers. Because yeah. I think where he gets dangerous is when he can drop back, wait for his receivers to get downfield, and find him because he can hit him 60 yards downfield. That's his kind of arm he has. Um, and so getting his clock taking is extremely important for K-State's defense. Now the question is, okay, what's what's that going to take? Is it going to take three? Is it going to take four? Is it going to take five? My hunch, three or four. And if that's the case, then I think K-State uh, is in great shape uh, defensively on Saturday. Um, and I, like you, expect uh, K-State to the defense to look very good and put up some just huge numbers uh, sack-wise. Because um, yesterday feels like the first time you really had the show of what Duke and Felix both operating at 100% looks like. Um, And the result was six sacks combined. And so, because you have to think that in 2020... um, that was kind of the Khalid Duke show. It felt like that he was kind of the, aside from Wyatt Hubert, but he was the exciting young defensive end that was uh, kind of the next big thing on the K State defensive line. Took over the Oklahoma game, um, and then he gets injured, and Felix was still a pup. And so twenty twenty one, Felix has his kind of breakout season, and Duke's been kind of nursing injuries throughout the first part of, of this year. Uh, but on Saturday, it was Felix and Khalid Duke, both at a 100% against a, a decent enough offense, and they were just living in the backfield. And now those two guys should be licking their chops because they are facing probably the worst offensive line in the Big 12 at this point. Um, and, shoot, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw as many sacks or more sacks against, uh, against Iowa State. Yeah, and you mentioned guys like, Duke and, and Felix Sanduke Zama. 
Nate Matlack, you know, another guy that is going to be in that rotation. Uh, but then you can't forget about the big guys up front, e- eating some of those double teams yeah. uh, with uh, Eli Huggins. Uh, Bobby Hintz. Robert Hintz, my man Uso. Uh, those are those are guys that I expect. And, you know, we, we t- I, I go back to the kind of rotating guys. And when you get a fresh uh, Uso Sayamalu at 340 pounds, you know, in, in the third and fourth quarter, that's where a guy like him is able to really – uh, have a, a a nice impact there because this is a guy that's coming in. He might be, have only played five snaps up to that point, and you're going into the the heart of the third and fourth quarter. There, a guy that's able to really kind of grind on you and uh, is able to eat up a lot of space out there. There's no substitute for 340 pounds. No, none. Um, I will say Xavier Hutchinson, good yeah, wide receiver. That's what I was going to get to next. Is is if Deckers is able to have some time back there, they do have some weapons in the pass game. Uh, Xavier Hutchinson, probably one of the top two or three wide receivers in the league. Uh, All-Big 12 player last year. Jalen Noel, another guy that K-State was in on for recruitment. He goes to Iowa State. He's uh, their second leading wide receiver. 23 catches, 253 yards. For Hutchinson, 49 receptions so far in the season for 504 yards, five touchdowns. So a guy that uh, is at the top of the scouting report here for K-State. Uh, in terms of their weapons offensively for the Cyclones. Uh, Dimitri Stanley, another guy that had a nice game against KU. Uh, three pretty good wide receivers, really, when you look at uh, Iowa State. I don't think you can really question what they have in terms of talent uh, as it comes to what they have a wide receiver. Really, the question is, not only you don't worry about those guys being able to make plays and get open, it's this Deckers have enough time to find them. And I think that's the issue uh, that Iowa State's had so far this season, especially against KU here last week, and is a, is a, uh, a challenge that I think is going to be tough for them to overcome on Saturday. Most definitely. And I, I do think that to, we'll see how often it actually happens, just whether it's personnel or, or where the guy's at on a given play. But I think the Julius Brents-Xavier Hutchinson matchup, yeah. I mean, talk about a matchup that we might see in the NFL here in a couple of years because Absolutely. that's those two guys are both have all the physical tools there are um, and uh, just match up against each other. It's an intriguing matchup. So uh, that said, you said it. It's it's going to be can the trigger man get on the same page with them and, and have enough time for them to get open? Um, my guess is more often than not, no. Uh, so. I have a lot of faith in K-State's defense on Saturday, and we'll, uh, it should be a fun one for the mob. All right, let's get to predictions. Nelly, lead it off. I think it's tough sledding for the offense. I, I think um, it, it's going to be hard for K-State to have those kind of game-breaking plays that we saw against Texas Tech, only because I don't think Iowa State's going to have to be devoting as much uh, as many resources to the line of scrimmage in order to get stuffs. Um, now, that said... This K-State rushing attack, it's for real. I mean, it's hard to keep players as talented and explosive as Martinez and Deuce bottled up for 60 minutes. And so I, I think that, yes, this, this Iowa State defense is good, but that doesn't mean they're shutting every they're shutting out every opponent they face. And they've almost had to in order to keep the uh, opposing team under what their offense, what their own offense can put up. Um but that said, I, I think this is going to be kind of revert back to maybe be a 
as ugly as uh, an offensive game as K-State's had this season outside of Tulane. Um, now, maybe a big play in the special teams comes up. Maybe K-State gets, like KU, gets a fortunate turnover, gets a short field, and, and helps things along. I think something like that does happen this week, um, only because Iowa State special teams, not just in the kicking and uh, punt return game, which yeah. have both gotten and, and been bugaboos for Iowa State over the last couple weeks, but their punt coverage uh, game as well. This seems like a game that Philip Brooks, Malik Knowles, could uh, show up and, and have some explosive plays there. All that said, I think K-State finds a way to get to 20 points. Uh, I think the K-State defense uh, does a pretty darn good job. Uh, keeps Deckers uh, bottled up most of the day, but um, I think Decker, it would shock me if Deckers ends up putting up 240 yards passing. But this Iowa State run game, non-existent. It's non-existent. I mean, they had... You look at their numbers against KU, nothing there. And I think with Brock out, they don't really even bother with it that much. Or they don't expect to have much success with it. So I think Iowa State, while Hunter Deckers could give them 230 yards in the air, I think I would be shocked if they only had about 260 yards total. Um, so one way of saying K-State wins 20-17. to 17. Close game. Okay. Got you down for 20 to 17. Kansas State rolls to purple uh, in, in Delhi's eyes. And we see this game pretty similarly. Uh, I think if this is a game that you like watching some defense and maybe some can stomach some maybe not so great offense uh, here throughout, uh, this might be the game for you here. 6.30 ESPNU, uh, a kickoff here in Ames. I see it a little higher scoring. I see it Kansas State 24, Iowa State 21. What's the over-under in this game? The over-under, Nelly, great question. Uh, I'll, I'll get that pulled up here. The over-under, 45. Yeah. Uh, so 24-41, I guess I'm going slightly over that. Uh, but, uh, you know, K-State opened up as a, around a, a point-and-a-half favorite. It's now up to two, so pretty much uh, right at the same, um, same as it opened. For K-State to be successful in this game, and I, and I have them winning here 24-21, I think you have to be a, a little bit more multiple. Mm. Maybe a game where Sammy Wheeler gets in the mix. Yeah, so. absolutely. Maybe Ben. Maybe Ben. You know, you get those big bodies down there in the, in the red zone, some things can happen there. What I think is the, the key here, I think K-State's got more explosive players with Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn. And... Also, too, from what I've seen so far, K-State hasn't turned the ball over uh, offensively. Their only turnover so far or this season uh, before the, uh, the Texas Tech game was an Anthony Frias fumble. Deuce Vaughn does cough one up last week against Texas Tech. K-State's done a good job of holding on the football. Really, I think what it comes down to is K-State's experience at the quarterback position and 22-9 and nine making enough big plays where K-State's able to uh, get out of Ames with a victory, uh, a hard-fought one at that. Yeah, I, mean, I think this is a great opportunity for this K-State offense. If they can go out there and put together a performance of, like we saw against Texas Tech, for instance, then I will not gripe about anything uh, about this Colin Klein offense. Um, if they can find a way to, to go get 30, 35, uh, close to 40 points, um, and shoot, it's possible, uh Baylor got pretty close to that, pretty close to 40. Yep. 
And so we'll see, but it's kind of the, the measuring stick, uh, I think, for the Big 12, because I think this Iowa State defense, maybe aside from the K-State defense, is about the class of the Big 12. Um, and so one other guy for Iowa State uh, the K-State fans might be a little familiar with is uh, Jace Reeder, the big linebacker transfer from, I believe, Delaware. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, K-State lost out on him, ended up uh, – getting Gavin Forsha kind of in his spot. Um, but Reeder is a uh, – he's an every-down guy for, for these Iowa State Cyclones. And so keep an eye on him. Uh, another name – gosh, is, is Iowa State defense is – really the Iowa State team just feels so familiar. Yeah. Just because K-State feels like they recruited half of them. The Bo Frailer um, in the mix there. And so uh, – just solid linebacking core backing up uh, the all everything, the college sack leader and Will McDonald. Um, and so, all in all, I think it'll be a fun game to watch. It, it's going to look like a rock fight, in my opinion. Um, I watched the entire Iowa State-Iowa game uh, this week, and... I don't, I don't know if it'll be quite that ugly, um, because that game was just remarkable. Um, but... I think it'll. That's just going to be. Iowa State games are going to look a lot like that throughout the season because the defense is so good and the offense just has such a hard time uh, getting a push on the line of scrimmage. Last time K State was in Ames, forty-five nothing. Yeah. I think that might stick with some guys. Revenge on the line for Kansas State. Yeah. Uh, here as they they go to Ames. Seth Porter might remember that. He might. Might get out there and block a punt because of it. He, he very well could. And some we're monitoring. Closely. Yeah. And we have been for... I'll go ahead and say it every waking hour that I've been awake. I, I, I Every every minute... Ever that, since that South Dakota punt block, I've just been thinking... And monitoring. <laughs> yeah. I've been monitoring and thinking about... His pump blocking prowess. <laughs> yeah. That's all I've been really thinking about. Most definitely. So, uh, let's go ahead and uh, call it good here. Pre- uh, predictions. Delhi has got Kansas State 20-17. to I've got them 24-21. Should be a fun matchup in Ames. 6.30 kickoff on ESPNU. Should be a fun one. After a short break, we'll be back to highlight another in the long line of Wildcat legends and answer listener questions in the Ask the Icon segment. Join us after a quick break. Short side option. You're back with the Icon. You're back with d And we are getting into a segment of the show we call This Week's Wildcat Legend. And Icon? Yes, sir. This week's Wildcat Legend was born in Columbus, Ohio. Home of the Ohio State Buckeyes. He was a quarterback. He uh, was on the team for that 2012 season. He was also on that team for that 2014 season. He has three younger siblings, Justin, Jonathan, and Jason, and graduated with a degree in secondary education from Kansas State. Any ideas who I'm talking about? <laughs> you know, the secondary education major in that, that degree, it opens up some circles, or it opens up some... Um, some op- options, some opportunities here for me to guess, but I I want to I want to learn some more about this guy. Well, his parents are Jerry and Kendra, and they both uh, attend Kansas State as well. 
second generation Kansas Stater. Yeah. Yep, that's right. I'll give you a little more hints. He was a two-year letter winner in Cheney under head coach Dustin McEwen. Mickey won. <laughs> I like that. Uh, I think I, I you were, go ahead continue. He played quarterback, wide receiver, and defensive back for Did Cheney. All. Yeah, he also lettered in basketball, helping the Cheney Cardinals to two straight league championships. Not to mention a sub-state runner-up finish in 2011. Mm. He finished fifth at the state track meet in Javelin, and was a member of the honor roll in the President's Education Award. Okay, I think I got it. Who are we talking about here? A guy who often is confused for how similarly he looks to uh, a former Yankees third baseman, Scott Brocious. I believe you're talking about Joe Hubner. That's exactly right. Talking about Joey, the Cheney Bomber. A three-year letter winner who played in 27 career games, including 11 starts in 2015. He's one of 20 players in school history. Only one of 20. The entire school history. To pass for 2,000 yards in a career. And help that 2016 senior class earn a 32-20 and 20 record, including two bowl victories. Okay? His, uh... 2012, he redshirted. Okay? Colin Klein. He, he did. Colin Klein was running the show there. 2013, he appeared in the Iowa State game. Yeah, that's right. He had two... He rushed twice for five yards. Okay. Pretty good. In 2013, 2014, rather. That, that closed the book on 2013. <laughs> <laughs> That's all there was there. The legend, <laughs> the legend said, I've seen enough. <laughs> See what he's got in the hopper for next year. 2014, uh, he played in seven games, went 9 of 17 on the season for 235 yards. 9 of 17 for 235. Jonathan Beasley numbers. Absolutely. He also got a touchdown. He rushed for 142 yards and three scores, spelling Jake Waters. Uh, and one thing, he had 27 rushes. He didn't lose yards on any of them. How about that? He threw his lone touchdown pass that season against Stephen F. Austin, which was a 15-yarder. And if I recall, beautiful pass. Oh, absolutely. Remember it well. Uh, he had his then-career then high three passes uh, completed against UTEP. And... Uh, Set a career high with 85 passing yards at TCU, including a 74-yarder. The bomb. It's the 14th longest in school history. Um, he also had a 64-yard pass against Oklahoma State. Uh, had 46 rushing yards against Texas in 2014. And had a 20-yard uh, run uh, against the Longhorns as well. Uh, but let's get, let's get to the, the big year for him. 2015 where he played in all 13 games, including 11 starts under center, threw for 1,800 yards and nine touchdowns, uh, while completing a really impressive 131 of 275 uh, attempts. He also had 613 yards rushing, 13 touchdowns on just 180 attempts, so pretty good. Uh, Finished in the top 30 nationally in passing yards per completion, 17th actually. Uh, with 14.02. He became the 28th player in school history to throw over 1,500 yards and the 21st uh, to eclipse 2,000. Set a career high with 289 passing yards at Texas Tech. Uh, he had 19 completions against the Red Raiders, uh, 
Threw the ball 40 times. Um, I was there for that one. Yeah, we all were. We all remember. He rushed for at least two touchdowns in four games. He had four touchdowns against TCU and set a career high with in rushing yards with 153 against Baylor. Um, against Iowa State, which is really the reason for the season. Joe Hubner. 2015, 18 of 31, 216 yards with a touchdown and 90 yards on the ground. Pretty good day at the office. Absolutely. Uh, Take that any day. Yeah. If Adrian Martinez can put up 306 yards by himself on Saturday, I like our chances. Um, interestingly enough, in that 2015 Iowa State game, high scoring affair, 38 to 35. Um, Joe Huebner was not the only player that threw a pass for the Wildcats. Glenn Gronkowski. Yeah, I believe the touchdown pass saw Winston Dimmel. That's right. That's right. The Gronkowski-Dimmel connection. What a timeline. No question. Um, But, yeah, helped the Wildcats get a three-point win, 38-35, hosting Iowa State. Um, Also played in six games in 2016. Threw for 275 yards, including a 54-yard touchdown at Oklahoma. Uh, had a season-high 157 yards uh, on the ground against Oklahoma, including a 54-yard run. Uh, had a touchdown against Florida Atlantic. Uh, and in 2016, he earned academic All-Big 12 honors second team. He earned first-team academic All-Big 12 honors in 2016. 15. So, uh, but kind of a sharp decline. A little bit, man. Maybe nothing. <laughs> maybe not being as close of attention in the classroom. <laughs> well, you know, he took a lot of hits in 2015. <laughs> well, what, what else can you say? He left it all in the field, David. <laughs> yeah, no question. Credit to him. Well, you mentioned that 2015 Iowa State game. The game that got... <laughs> We're still going to be laughing about that one here, uh, here as we yeah, continue yeah, on. I hate to see that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you look at that 2015 Iowa State game. <laughs> as we compose ourselves here on the Short Side Option Podcast. Yeah, it was such a remarkable <laughs> performance in 2015, but just couldn't quite live up to it. <laughs> you kind of fell behind there in the secondary yeah. education class. Yeah, yeah it's a so, shame. <laughs> but as we continue on here, uh, that was the final game uh, of Paul Rhodes' uh, tenure there at Iowa State. Is they yeah. uh, they choke up that one? Uh, that was the wild one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jack Cantelli kicks the the walk off field goal there, essentially for Kansas State, and uh, a game. You know, you mentioned all of the games that uh, K State has been able to find themselves on the right side of here in this Farmageddon series against Iowa State. Uh, you know, you look at that one as maybe the, the wildest of those. You know, there's the Skylar Thompson to Isaiah Zuber touchdown to uh, to uh, to walk it off there. You know, every time the K State and Iowa State seem to play, it, it it comes down to kind of that final that final drive. And K State's been able to find themselves uh, lucky enough here as the uh, the winner in most of those situations. But Iowa State, we we talked a little bit about it uh, here earlier. They beat K State forty-five nothing back in, in twenty twenty. Uh, upended K State last year uh, at home in Manhattan. 
So K-State uh, is looking to uh, get off a two-game losing streak here at Iowa State and uh, plenty of motivation on that side of the, uh, of, of, the th- of the situation there uh, as K-State looks to, to get back on top of the Cyclones. Yeah, and you know, Hubner, he's, uh, he's a guy that K-State fans probably look at and, and say – he wasn't our most productive quarterback uh, in 2015, but you know what? KC won six games that season. They got to that a was, game. You know that 2015 team. Um, gosh, one of my favorite performances from a K State uh, K State player was Shermichael Moore. Yeah, like, and that was 16. Game. Like so, K State went starts off that season winning their first three games. Then they lose six games in a row. They went out the rest of the season with victories over uh, KU, Iowa State, and West Virginia to get to a bowl game, which was um, you know a, a weaker part of the schedule for Kansas State, but uh, able to to really rectify uh, and right the ship there uh, to get back to a bowl game. Yeah, I mean K State's looking sitting there three and six on November twenty first, thinking, well, that's that. Um, so huge credit to Hubner for, uh, it, well, no, the rest of the team for um, hanging in there and, and getting K State to uh, a bowl game, um, getting to six wins when it was looking bleak there. So uh, hats off to Joe Hubner uh, for 306 yards against Iowa State, just somehow finding a way to win that game because K State loses that game, their bowl eligibility is out the window. Uh, with two games left to play. Yep. And so, absolutely, uh, an important game. Thank you to the Iowa State offense and Paul Rhodes for not really figuring out how to get into victory formation. Yeah. Um, and uh, figuring out a way to win. And so, really, it's that that 2015 Iowa State game uh, that makes Joe Hubner this week's Wildcat legend. And Icon, we're going to go ahead and get now into our final segment on the show. I know it's a segment you enjoy, a segment I enjoy. We, we all love it here at the Short Side Option, and I'm sure our listeners do too. It's a segment we call Ask the Icon, where, you know, the name, it's all right there. Listeners to the Short Side Option can submit their questions to the Short Side Option's very own Chris the Icon Sork, and he will answer them. And he'll answer any question, whether it's about uh, baseball, whether it's about golf, whether it's about Temptation Island, or even about K-State sports. And they can submit those questions on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast or using the hashtag AskTheIcon. Or, um, you know, if you happen to be at the game on Saturday in Ames, go ahead and paint a question on your chest, run out onto the field, and point yourself towards the camera, and the icon will squint, and he'll, uh, <coughs> he'll look, he'll yeah, read it, I'll, and, I'll and read we'll it. answer it next week. Okay. So our first question this week comes from listener Epp. Well, nope, looks like that one was answered on Twitter already. Yep, I, yeah, I got him squared away on, on where to find some highlights. Very good. Uh, first question comes from listener Tyler H at TH8 underscore on Twitter. Tyler asks, <clears throat> Icon, I've got a bit of an issue Saturday. I'll be at my wife's cousin's wedding in New York during the game. It's a fancy affair. Probably sitting down to dinner at kickoff. How can I watch the game? How much is too much staring at my phone? Should I wear AirPods or no? Okay, lot lot to break down here. Yeah, a lot of similarities here between what uh, what TH8 is going to be going through and what I'm going to be going through. I'm going to be also at a cousin's wedding. 
Uh, and now, in this situation, I believe uh, the game will be will be on at, at this point uh, at the wedding venue. Long line of Kansas Staters, uh, uh, folks that are, are going to be certainly interested uh, here uh, to see what K-State's able to do against Iowa State. Now, to get to his question, he's going to be in New York City. New York City? Uh, but he uh, he's going to be able to watch the game on his phone. That's a great Pace Picante. Oh, I, I'm a huge fan of those commercials. Yeah. Uh, but he's going to be able to watch the game on his phone uh, with uh, the, the ESPN app. Now, he goes to ask about AirPods, headphones. What, what's the situation there? For my money, play a little bit safe. Maybe wait a little bit once kind of the festivities done. Enjoy your meal. And then prop up that phone. No headphones required. Put her on. Put her on low, and you're just kind of able able to uh, kind of discreetly watch all the action. Yeah. And uh, I think that's the play. That's what uh, I would be doing in that situation. That's a, a heck of an answer and a heck of a question. Thoughts go out to Tyler H. And uh, congrats to the uh, to his the soon to be couple. Yeah, his wife's cousin. That's that's amazing stuff there. Uh, next question comes from listener Trim at Trim Go Emo. Trim asks. Why has, and going forward, why would KSU ever go away from supremely athletic running quarterbacks that are minimally adequate at throwing? Is this a little bit of a Daniel Sams, Jake Waters comparison, possibly? Possible. You have to look at what the talent is around you. Um, Adrian Martinez, I think, is a capable passer. Uh, maybe quite the other parts of the offense here at Kansas State, maybe not quite. Uh, I think Martinez would look. Like a different passer if he had Tyler Lockett to throw the football to. I think so too. Um, so, it, but in terms of what um, kind of the crux of that question about having an athletic quarterback that's able to get it down on the ground, you know, that's a little, that's K State's identity it is uh, the quarterback run game. And you know, I, I was talking to a good buddy of ours, uh, Lone Star Wolf. He he was kind of chiming into me this week. He said, you know, that's K State's identity. They need to stay with that. Uh, to be able to have that quarterback run game as such a big part of our offense, and, and we've seen it so far here through the start of conference play. Most definitely. Uh, Trim has a second question. He asks, I don't follow the NFL much, but one can't escape Dallas Cowboys hashtag coverage. And how they've long underachieved relative to America's team expectations. The QB is out, and now they're winning. What is Dak Prescott good at? Dak Prescott's a tremendous NFL quarterback. There's no question about that. Now, Cooper Rush has filled in very well here after uh, Dak's thumb injury, which he suffered in Week 1 against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, Cooper Rush has been able to do do some really good things here in his stead. There's a little bit of a talk about a controversy brewing down there in Big D. But uh, I'm here to tell you, Dak Prescott's a great quarterback, and uh, when, when uh, Dallas is able to get Prescott back into the mix, uh, the sky's the limit here for this Cowboys team. All right. Well, that was uh, NFL Corner. Yeah, we, we, got, we don't usually get much into uh, the game that takes place on Sundays. Uh, our next question comes from listener Tangang at KSU underscore funny 33. He asks, hey, Icon, any chance we could hear from the voice of the Jayhawks this week? I'd love to hear how he's feeling about this mighty Jayhawks, about his mighty Jayhawks being undefeated. Well, you know, KU's been playing some really good football. 5-0. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, BH, I know it has to be pumped. You know, he's got a lot going on here with college game day coming in, into Lawrence. Yeah, BH is grinding on film this week. Uh, 
practicing his pronunciations. Noses is in the pronunciation guide. Um, but I have it on good authority that he's thrilled with how the Jayhawks are performing. And you know what? I, I do want to talk about that Iowa State-KU game real quick. Because Fire away. going into that game, I, we talked about it a little bit earlier. I, w- I was fascinated to see. I, I thought, if there's anybody that's going to be able to slow down this Kansas offense, it's Iowa State. And they slowed him down, held him to 13 points. Um, some missed field goals in there, but or I take that back. Missed field goals for Iowa State. But uh, Iowa State, I thought, did a great job kind of containing Jalen Daniels. Obviously, Highshaw gets injured. Um, ambulance on the field in the whole night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, credit to KU for finding a way to win that game uh, where the offense – I mean, just finding a different way to win. Yeah. Uh, because going into last week, I thought, yeah, the KU offense is, looks really, really good, but they have a terrible, terrible, terrible defense. And after Saturday, I think that I was maybe being a little harsh on the KU defense, even though the Iowa State offense isn't the toughest offense to defend. But holding a team to uh, 10 oh, points by yeah. hook or by crook, I mean, that in the Big 12, that's tough to do. If, if K-State tough can, to do anywhere in college football. Yeah, if K-State can hold Iowa State to 10 points on Saturday, I'll be thrilled. And in fact, we both predicted that Iowa State would eclipse that against what we both believe to be a very good K-State defense. So credit to Kansas. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, I don't think BH is going to be here this week, but look for him later on this season. I would be surprised if we don't hear from BH here before too long. Uh, next question comes from listener Jimmy Ricard at Robcat Power. He asks, Mr. Icon, a little formality out of Robcat. That's what we like to see. We like to see that here at Sienna's the Knicks. He says, if you he were the if you were the head ball coach, would you start throwing in some of the second-string receivers? And if not yet, then when? You know, we haven't seen Jaden Jackson hardly at all. R.J. Garcia, a little bit of time. Keenan Garber, I don't think we've seen him yet this season hardly. Well, they get in. Garber played a little bit on Saturday, but um, not really getting targets. Yeah, so, I mean, honestly, it... I wouldn't mind seeing some of those, and I know we've called on this here previously, is, you know, if you need some explosive plays in the passing game, you know, maybe kind of throw something at, at the dartboard and see what sticks a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, is it possible that R.J. Garcia, uh, Keenan Garber, Jaden Jackson are able to have kind of some of those impactful plays? Sure. I don't think it's uh, a... Um, a stretch to say that those guys could could make a difference in in some of these upcoming games, but with what you've seen with K State here, from the wide receiving standpoint, when we go five wide, it, it's typically Cade Warner, Philip Brooks, Malik Knowles, Ben Sennett, and uh, Deuce Vaughn split out wide. Yeah, that that's usually that personnel grouping when we go with five wide receivers, not necessarily having five wide receivers on the field, but in a, in a five-pass-catching uh, set. So I don't expect that rotation to really change much, but I wouldn't mind seeing uh, a few guys get in some, some more work there. Yeah, I uh, a couple things. Number one, it's careful wishing for the guys lower on the depth chart because there might be a reason they're lower on the depth chart. I mean, it, it's easy to say these guys must be – better receivers, but they might not be. 
Um, now that said, it's it's hard for me to think that there's an element that guys like R.J. Garcia, uh, Jaden Jackson, uh, there's got. I think there's got to be something that those guys can give you that uh, somebody like Cade Warner doesn't. Uh, just in terms of taking the top off of defense a little bit, figuring another threat deep downfield. Because let's face it, Cade Warner, he can do some things pretty darn well. I think for the most part, he's a decent enough blocker. I think he's, for the most part, got decent hands. Um, but... He's not burning you downfield. Um, and so it's a little curious why you see him uh, be targeted downfield fairly often. Um, same with Phillip Brooks. It, it, I find it odd that our shrimpiest wide receiver is, uh, who, who's not a Brandon Banks-style total burner, um, is getting is such a big part of our vertical passing game when you have... Malik Knowles, who is fast enough and got some better size and you think might be a better option deep threat. And also guys like RJ Garcia, who has a little better size than, than Phillip Brooks and does have the speed that Cade doesn't quite have. And so on the other hand, you don't want to signal your intentions, right? You don't want RJ Garcia in there uh, and it to be, oh, well, this is obviously he's in here to stretch the field. And if he's not as quite as good a blocker as Cade, uh, then you're tipping your hand in, in sure. some respects. And so I don't know why, um, but I'm not in practice. I, I've barely ever seen RJ Garcia play. I don't know that I've ever seen Jaden Jackson play. I mean, I don't know yeah. if Jaden Jackson has seen the field off the top of my head. And so it, it's easy to say, well, these guys must be more talented but maybe they are in some respects, but not enough respects. But um, I tend to think that there's an element that those guys can give you that, that people like, well, especially Cade, uh, doesn't. Yeah, and also Cade Warner's kind of history with Adrian Martinez. I know that he's a, a trusted target for him. You know, I, I look back at this uh, at this wide receiving group, and you know, quite frankly, I thought it left a little bit to be desired coming into the season. And with what you've seen K-State throwing the ball-wise, those, those concerns have been warranted so far. Yeah, well, uh, we, I think before the season we said there's got to be that third, that reliable third-fourth option. Somebody like R.J. Garcia or Jaden Jackson stepping up and being and getting two to three to four targets a game. And that flat-out hasn't been there. Yep, so it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out the rest of the way, but that, a good question there. And... Our final uh, question asker this week comes from Steve Z sixty at SL Keck on Twitter. This is a Steve Z two for this week, so we'll start out with the first one. Do you believe Mister Savage has been in touch with the lucky Texas Tech cheerleader he blew a kiss at during the game? Hard to say. Hard to say. But uh, you know, saw that on on the replay there. Uh, so, some uh... extracurriculars. Some more loving uh, extracurricular from the Spirit Squad, uh, as in terms of the relation there, uh, as what you saw from um, from Oklahoma, where you got their yell eaters uh, chirping at Adrian Martinez. Yeah. We just blow a kiss back. Copacetic. Very nice to see. 
I thought we might see, speaking of Oklahoma, we might see like a Boise State scenario where Kobe Savage yeah. drops down on a knee. Who knows? Love at first sight. Yeah. Uh, Steve's second question of the Double Dipper uh, is, and our final question this week, if the Big 12 Conference was a breakfast feast, which breakfast item would each team be? Wow. How about that? Yeah. Well, little, little uh, 12-parter there. 12-part breakfast. Well, 10-parter. Well, yeah, excuse me, Tim Parter. We, we we could have gotten the the new uh, the new incoming guys yeah. here, uh, but we 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 stayed the tried and trues here. Mm-hmm. So I've got something for you. Baylor, their waffles, Iowa State cornflakes, Kansas State biscuits and gravy, KU a blueberry muffin, <laughs> Oklahoma State orange juice, yeah, Oklahoma applewood bacon, uh huh, thick cut yeah. applewood bacon. Texas steak and eggs, uh-huh. kind of a higher end price tag, you know. Beef. So, but oftentimes, in my experience, most of the time steak and eggs usually not all that good of a of not a the best cut. Yeah, usually kind of a cheaper cut, bad sirloin, not not great. Um, West Virginia ham, uh, <laughs> TCU toast, uh, Texas Tech a Southwest omelet. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking Texas Tech might be like a Breakfast burrito or something because of the tortillas. Yeah, Southwest omelet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, but actually, there's Southwest. Yeah, there's Southwest omelet. All so, right. So there's a rundown. You killed it. Oklahoma State orange juice. Absolutely. Yeah. What was West Virginia ham? Ham. Yeah, they're they're ham. So did he go outside? Did he, did he do UCF Cincinnati or no? I I didn't. I didn't spend the time to just because they're not full fledged members at this point in time. So I wanted to be respectful to Steve's question. Yeah. All right. Well, that was very well done, Icon. That that was well thought out, and uh, I thought you did a great job. Hey, and that appreciate it, Della. And that's why they, you're the icon, and that's why people ask you questions. So do you have any uh, final thoughts as we uh, sunset this episode of the Short Side Option? Huge game for Kansas State this weekend. Um, Iowa State, you know, I, we, we talked a little bit about the NFL here in the, in the, in the uh, Ask the Icon segment. Kind of a similar game here, to me anyway, as K-State uh, goes to Ames, as what the Chiefs did uh, here just a few weeks back going uh, to Indianapolis against the Colts. Colts at that point were, I think, 0-1-1, having tied in, in Week 1 against Houston, a team desperate for a win. Iowa State's desperate for a win here on their home field, uh, a place that K-State's had some trouble at uh, here recently. I, I think that this is a, a really big game for K-State. They're going to get a, a great effort from Iowa State in, in a, what's going to be a charged-up Jack Trice Stadium. Uh, I think K-State just is able to make enough plays here uh, to come out on top. Most definitely. All right. Well, I think that does it here. Dell, anything else you want to add? Nope. Well, folks, that'll do it here for this episode of the Short Side Option Podcast. We'll be back to review uh, the Iowa State game here next week on, on the Short Side Option. But until then, thanks for listening, and go Cats!